Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our leadership podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to week 11 of Building the Church from the Ground Up. And today we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in building His church. Uh, We're talking about partnering with God to lead a Holy Spirit revival church. Amen. And, And there's three main things I want to talk about. What does it look like to see the Holy Spirit working in your church? Why is this so important that we give Him His place? And how do we intentionally structure our church for a continuous move of the Holy Spirit? Why is this so important? Well, the Bible says in in John 6, 63, it is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh accomplishes nothing. Uh, We know that our best work, apart from the breath of God, cannot produce life. We want a church like in the book of Acts. I love that, Acts 2.47, where where they were obedient, they praised God, they had favor, and it says the Lord added to the church daily. It it wasn't their persuasive arguments, but the Holy Spirit was just moving and bringing people to a relationship with God. I put in your notes, you can either lead a church praying for God to bless what you're doing, or you can lead a church learning to do what God is blessing. <laughs> and uh, someone said, there's two ways to do it. One is like a rowboat. You're just doing your best. The other is like a sailboat. You're constantly just saying, Holy Spirit, uh, come. Uh, I'm going to say this a couple of times. You can either lead the church by adrenaline, <laughs> your energy, or by the anointing. Churches are, are, the, are the most impacting when you can't explain their work. You can only acknowledge that there is a move of God. I was a part of a great move called the Jesus People Movement. You could not explain what happened as thousands and thousands of youth became followers of Christ. It wasn't how organized people were. It was was so disorganized, and yet God moved. Um, And number three, it is easy to make the Holy Spirit an afterthought rather than the primary focus of in the center point of what's going on in the church. God wants the Holy Spirit to be the CEO of your ministry. He wants to be in charge. Someone said, in 80% of the churches, the Holy Spirit could leave for three months and few would even notice that he's missing. Wow, that's sad, isn't it? Uh, You know, in Revelation, he talks about the candlestick got removed, but many people didn't even know it because they were running it like a lion's club or, a, you know, whatever. Um, I love this definition. It, I don't like what it, it means, but I, I love how it says it. A dead church minimizes the power of the Holy Spirit while embracing forms of either illegalism or secular Christianity. As churches divide and debate, work on their program, develop their p- plans, God is often on the outside saying, can I come in? (laughs) Can I come in? We need 
to realize that our churches are perfectly designed to get the results from the Holy Spirit they're getting. If there's not a move of the Holy Spirit, there's a reason for that. We need to own that and adjust. We need to get God to move where we're at by us aligning with what He says and what He wants. What does it take to structure for the Holy Spirit? I remember a church in El Paso here, I loved it. They always talk, we're a church structured for the Holy Spirit. What does it take to have maximum involvement of the Holy Spirit in the leading, administrating of your church? How do you move under the anointing? Boy, this is important. There are many pastors, I, I can relate, are burned out. I remember one pastor used to drive up in a little town. He'd, he'd drive up on a little hill to watch the train go by at two every afternoon. Someone said, why are you watching that? And he said, it's the only thing in town that I come get to see every day that I'm not having to push. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we do God's work and we feel like we're pushing it. That's what I mean by working by adrenaline, by the sweat of our brow. But God has a better way. It's called the anointing. Now, how do we move towards that? I believe it begins when we become disillusioned with a fleshly model of ministry. John Wimber, one of my main mentors, was a church growth expert, and he had led in churches, but he hit a place of burnout. He talks about being in this Detroit hotel, ready to quit the ministry, and God just spoke to him one night and said, John, we, we've seen your ministry. Now would you like to know about mine? In other words, would you like to let me take over? Um, this is the beginning point, I believe, of a Holy Spirit-led church. It, it is that complete desperate dependence, refusing to settle for less. Leonard Ravenhill said, the only reason we don't have revival is because we're willing to live without it. In that illustration of the, of the foolish versions, there were these, these virgins who went with their own oil, half full. If we use our own oil, we're not going to see the visitation of God. Um, I, I believe there's these four steps in, in really moving over and letting God move. Number one is disillusionment, or what you might call a holy dissatisfaction, where you're just tired of church as usual. You're just tired of doing church work. Hopefully that leads to desperation, a place where in your weakness, you, you just throw yourself on the altar. Jim Cimbala in his great book, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, talks about how he came to that place in, in his pastorate there in, in uh, New York City. And he said, he just, he just laid there on the altar and he says, God, I can't do this. And he, he, he writes this principle. He says, one thing I discovered, God cannot resist weakness. Wherever weakness is admitted, uh, God comes. And in that desperation, God began to move in revival. God is ready for us to be tired of the strange fire, the dead works, and long for a true move of God. I believe the third stage is disorientation. I think there is a season where when we're seeking to move in revival, we're kind of in between. We're, we're not sure what we're doing. It's okay. It's called the wilderness. <laughs> and uh, that disorientation leads us to a place where we learn how to follow the fire and the cloud again, where we are, we are just 
constantly leaning in. We, we lose some things. You know, we, we die to some things, but we're ready for God. Moses definitely went through that in his wilderness, and yet that's what led him to his point of anointing. And then final stage is deliverance, which is visitation, where God begins to move. I believe that like Anna and Simeon in the Bible, they were at a point where they would receive or accept nothing less but the Lord's visitation. They would never settle for religion again. Uh, secondly, a church of revival requires learning new wineskins. I love the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but it's also a story of a journey of disciples adjusting from an old covenant way of thinking to a new covenant way of thinking. And, and, and throughout the book of Acts, you see them changing their minds and wineskins. And, you know, they start off casting lots and then they learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, they start off with uh, the temple and then they realize we're the temple. They start off, you know, with traditions and you've got to be Jewish the external things, and then they realize, no, it's not about that. It's about the circumcision of the heart. But there was this constant uh, being willing to get a new wineskin because new wine cannot be in old wineskins. Here, here were some things that I observed from the book of Acts that I think are keys to moving into an alignment uh, to be maximized, the Holy Spirit's participation in the building of his church from ground up. Obviously, the book of Acts begins with the leaders themselves being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus starts off by saying, don't go do your old wineskin thing, but go wait and you'll receive power. And they say, oh, is this when, you know, is this when uh, the kingdom is coming? Jesus says, no, just go wait. Don't try to get this all figured out. Don't get all your programs lined up. Just wait and, uh, and get this new wineskin. I believe that starts not only by having experienced a filling of the Holy Spirit, but staying filled. Can I tell you something I know very well? Uh, calling yourself a charismatic church doesn't make you a charismatic church, you know. Having an experience sometime of being baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't make you a Spirit-filled church. It is the continual filling. It is having the gates of the river open, living in the river, flowing in the river, that is a spirit-filled move of God. It always begins with the words, I love what Timothy says, stirring up the gifts, keeping it stirred. William Booth says, I'm not waiting for a move of God. I am a move of God. Here's some thoughts on that. How faithful are you to continue stirring up an awareness and surrender to the presence of the Holy Spirit? What activities and disciplines most help you be consciously aware of the Spirit's involvement in what you're thinking, doing, where you actually sense that you're able to make that switch from the adrenaline to the anointing. What, what are things that are key practices for you that cause you to have that fire so that when you walk in a room, other people feel something? Again, each one of us uh, connects, we're wired a little different. Many of us are more, uh, you know, reading oriented. Some may be singing oriented. But the key is what are the 
the things that allow you to sense that you're now moving out of the flesh, trying to do something for God, to now moving from God, living in the Spirit, ministering out of His overflow. Obviously, things like solitude are key. Meditating in the Word, worshiping, being in the Lord's presence generously. You can't bring the fire to others if you're not stirring the fire within yourself. Learn and be sensitive to that. Uh, I heard one person referring to the story when Elizabeth was greeted by Mary, John the Baptist jumped within her womb, and, and, and this pastor said, what makes the baby jump inside of you? you know, what is that thing that, oh, there it is. I, I, I sense it. It's coming, the anointing. One of the key parts of that is to continually be seeking the Holy Spirit's feedback and perspective. You see, it's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It's what Paul called in 2 Corinthians 13, fellowship with the Holy Spirit that keeps the fire of revival. Uh, someone said the manifest presence of God is revealed when God allows himself to be perceived. I really like that. When, when we turn our perspective towards Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Now, Holy Spirit, I just heard something. What do you think about that? Holy Spirit, how should I approach this next meeting? Holy Spirit, help me put that into the right word. The more we lean in to Holy Spirit, get his perspective, sense something from him, the more will flow. It also requires acts of faith. In other words, the Spirit flows when we step out and minister. What is interesting, someone said, in Acts chapter 4, that the disciples did not ask for more fire. They asked for more boldness to see the fire demonstrated, signs and wonders. They, they, they activated the presence of God. You see, the power of God is activated when we're in faith, when we're ministering by faith, asking God to do impossible things. Um, and then being a house of prayer. You know, the always where God moves is where he wants us to be in a place of prayer. Having that the center of all that we do, the prayer room, the, the, the prayer times, the waiting on God time. If that's not at the center, that's where the fire flows from in lots of ways. When I mention activation, I remember one time the Lord kind of convicted me. I'm feeling in a dry season. I was feeling like I was doing a lot more adrenaline work than anointing work. And, and the Holy Spirit said, Dale, you need to go get out among the poor again. You need to get out of your holy sanctuary now. Go feed the poor. Go sit down with somebody broken. Get, get your heart broken again. Go, go on the streets. Share the gospel. A, a second key part of structuring for the Holy Spirit is seeing yourself as a steward of God's revival. Believing not just in word, but in practice that miracles and signs and wonders are a big part of God's plan for using you and your church. There's kind of two parts to this I really, I really like. One of the things I love is what Bill Johnson says. He said in the Old Testament, God gave the fire in the temple, but he gave the priests and Levites the responsibility of stewarding the fire. 
In other words, God has given revival, but are we stewarding it? Are we nurturing that? Are, are we holding ourselves responsibility for that fire? Here's some thoughts on that. I believe uh, that that involves structuring our ministry, not just for proclamation, but demonstration. I, I believe that we should always be planning for the God moments, whether it's in a life group, an outreach, uh, you know, the moment of demonstration where we ask God to come, where we expect God to show up, uh, where we don't just give information, but where that's going to become transformation. Uh, someone said presentation without demonstration is mere conversation, <laughs> you know. And, and so let me just ask you, you're praying for God to come. When, did, when do you let him come? I mean, when do you invite him? When do you say, let's stop everything and say, come Holy Spirit. Do we explain to people what it looks like when there's a break-in of the kingdom of God? Is normal church something that can fit in a schedule on a bulletin? Or is normal church, we wait and see the glory come? There has to be a, a switch in our thinking and our expectation if we're going to see visitation. And as I mentioned earlier, we have to get out on limbs with God. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. John Wimber used to always say, you won't see miracles if you're not getting out on a limb, because that's where the miracles are, if you're always hugging the trunk. Uh, I, I believe with all my heart, you need to settle in your heart. And, and there's a cost to it. And that cost is, are signs and wonders, miracles, moves of the Holy Spirit, are those, gee, that'll be nice if it happens things, or are those central to your strategy? That is what you expect. That is at very core part of your, your ministry plan. That year, just like in the book of Acts, this won't work if God doesn't show up. And we are going to give place, expectation, and we're going to take big risks for signs and wonders, for the sick to be healed, the demons to be cast out, you know, the lame to walk, uh, people to encounter. I believe with all my heart that statement, the world, is, we owe the world an encounter with God. Not just words, but experience where he impacts them. Jesus said in John 14, 12, we say it all the time, greater works shall you do than I've done. So here's some common practices of leaders who facilitate a move of the Holy Spirit. Number one, they're willing to allow things to get messy and out of their comfort zone. They walk the balance of letting things go into confusion and yet not holding so tightly that they can be controlled. You can't control things and have God move in all that power he wants. You should explain and have plans and ways to correct things, but you're going you're gonna to have to let there be time where God moves, where you bless his presence. And sometimes things are going to happen People are going to respond in ways that aren't uh, kosher and things are going to be out of your control and people are going to complain and, and, and you cannot control the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Remember what he says, uh, Jesus said in John 3, his spirit is like the wind. You can hear it, you can see it, but you don't know where it's coming from 
of where it's going. The only question, are you going to put the sailboat up or are you going to lock it down? There will be many times where things happen and you'll have to explain it later. Why did that person fall on the floor? Why was that person laughing hilariously? Why didn't the ushers carry them out? Why on the earth did that person start shaking? Oh gosh, that was just too weird. What do you mean when that demon shrieked and left somebody? This is just too weird for me. Spooky. I'm out of here. Well, that's what happened when Jesus ministered. And that's what happened when the apostles ministered. Things happened. Um, thirdly, they trained people to do the stuff. That's John Wimber's phrase for praying for the sick and healing. They inspire and challenge people that everyone gets to play. You don't just come to church, stay, pray, and get out of the way. You do the stuff. You go out to the community. Uh, when John Wimber was in his traditional church, he read about miracles and he went to his traditional pastor. He said, when do we get to do this stuff? The guy said, what do you mean? He said, well, like walk on water, <laughs> multiply loaves and fishes, cast down. The pastor said, no, we don't do those things. We just believe they happen. Then John said, well, when I served the devil, I got to do his stuff. Well, I believe God wants us to do the stuff. Uh, just a, 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 another practice. Uh, they, they model and invite things that allow revival. There are things that we know. For example, transparency and confession of sins. Uh, many revivals started, be, be, people started confessing their sins. And I, I've been in meetings where someone got up and confessed a sin, and, and maybe that feels kind of weird to people, but often that's what happens in revival. When people make public reconciliations, they say, I've wronged you, brother so-and-so, please. When all of a sudden God gets us out of our little religious act to into transparency. When we're willing to wait on God beyond times that are comfortable in American culture. You know, we like everything, time to the T. And, and yet, like on our Wednesday night heaven come, I realize we may sing six songs and, and nothing much will, will begin to be stirred. And then on that seventh song, I mean, it may just take longer. God does not work on our time frame. <laughs> we have to adjust and be willing for those kind of things. And as I mentioned, the meat is in the street. As we take it to the street, we will see more revival. Number five, I put here, they recognize people and train people to be what I call lightning rods or fire starters. The anointing flows usually in a room through people. Uh, I know this sounds weird, but the anointing doesn't flow through microphones and guitars, although I know some guitar players who think that does. But the anointing flows from people. Jesus said in John 7, 38, out of your belly, out of the being of people, will flow rivers of living water. Now here's something I've learned about the anointing. Number one, if you can get five people full of the anointing to sit right in front of you when you preach, your, your sermons will go to five other levels. <laughs> You know, I don't know why all the anointed people usually have to work in the children's church. So anyhow, there's something so powerful when you get the, the fire starters where the front of the building is. It flows to the other people. There are these certain people, again, we call them lightning rods, fire starters, that have a certain anointing. I don't know how to describe this, but you'll know when you see one. 
that when they flow into the room, when they walk in, when they start to pray, uh, the temperature goes up and other people are wonderful and nice. You need to recognize these people. I describe them as risk takers, prophetic people, type of intercessors. They're like the woman who broke the alabaster jar. There's something prophetic upon their life. And when that happens, you want to invite them and position them. Let them, you know, in the Jesus movement, there was a guy named Lonnie Frisbee. And, and in many ways, is just as strange as you could imagine off the streets of Haight-Ashbury. And yet, he's the guy, when he went to John Wimber's church in the early 80s, at the end of the service, said, come Holy Spirit, three quarters of his church fell on the ground and everything changed. Uh, God wants to raise those people up. And, and he wants us to desire to be those kind of people. Uh, six, they're willing to abandon previously scheduled programs and plans to go with the Holy Spirit when he's moving. Again, we said this earlier, we don't ask the Spirit uh, to bless what we're doing. We say, how do I align with what the Spirit's doing? In the book of Acts, that meant you're over here at Simon's house. God says, go to Cornelius. Well, why don't you bring the revival to Simon's house? I like Simon. No, I'm moving in Cornelius' house. So go away, get up and go. You know, God is always doing that. He's using a woman at the well who has a sinful life and, and Jesus goes and anoints her. She wins the whole city of the Lord, you know. Philip is in the middle of a revival and God sends him to, you know, a road in Samaria to one Ethiopia. How flexible are you? Are you going to go to where God's moving? Or are you going to stay where you're comfortable? In the book, Experiencing God, uh, the, the writer talks about how this ministry wanted to start a college group. And so they were trying to figure out, you know, all the paperwork for a college campus ministry, blah, blah, blah. And the Holy Spirit just said, stop. Just why don't you pray until you see where I'm moving? And after just talking and waiting and praying, this, this guy, one of the most un-Christian-looking guys you could imagine in foul language or whatever, he says, you know, these people have been coming over to my dorm to talk about God. We've had some, some conversations about God. And I, I, I heard you know about God. Would you like to join us? And, and the guy goes over there. There's like 12 people there. They all get saved and a revival comes to the college campus. You see, we've got to get outside of our box. In fact, God loves to blow up the box. And God loves to choose people we don't even feel comfortable with. 1 Corinthians 1.27, who does God choose among you? Is it those who are well off and well manicured or whatever? He says, no, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Dr. Robert Frost spoke in the early days of the charismatic movement, a prophetic word. I'm about to do surprising things through surprising people in surprising ways, so don't be surprised. <laughs> be ready to abandon your programs. Be ready to move where God's moving. Be ready to submit your plans. Just two others. Let the ministry of impartation through laying on of hands and prophecy be a part of their ministry. Often fire starters are used through impartation, one person. That's what Paul said. He said, Timothy, stir the gift in you that came through the laying on of my hands and through prophecy. And, and there's an impartation ministry that's a part of opening doors to the move of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, expect persecution. When I've studied this, I have learned all revival starters 
uh, paid a price. And the history of it's pretty profound. And, and when you go beyond the expected, the normal, when you turn over the tables of tradition, when you wait for the glory and you step into it, uh, people are going to get mad. Uh, I, I love the statement, where two or three are gathered in my name, someone gets mad. Because God will do something His way. We say where the Lord is blessing, the devil is messing. <laughs> and we have to be willing to trust, to take a stand. We have to do warfare against what I call demonic fire extinguishers. Demonic ways, usually a religious spirit, usually through that, or wealthy people, or, or loud critics, or, or whatever. There's a wet blanket that tries to be put on the fire of God. And only those willing to pay the price. Maybe, maybe it takes years. I heard one pastor say, we're only four funerals away from revival. I don't know about that, but whatever it takes, you're going to see the kingdom come. Lord, bless these as they, as they discuss this and learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.